Welcome to another amazing week here on Brit David Podcast. As Pastor Tim brings us a message today entitled, The Saddest Strikeout, from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. Atlanta Braves starting pitcher, Spencer Strider, has burst onto the scene. He surpassed John Smoltz and now holds the franchise record for most strikeouts in a game. He is becoming a modern-day strikeout king. But it is the three swings and misses by the rich, young ruler that makes his the saddest strikeout ever. His failure doesn't lead to the loss of a mere game. His has eternal consequences. This is the saddest strikeout. Here's Pastor Tim. Hey, man, you can have a seat. Whew, that's good stuff, isn't it? Take your Bible, turn with me this morning to Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter number 18. If you come and check out Cody's display, you're going to see, say, I know Cody doesn't like attention, so I'm going to keep calling his name. (laughs) You're going to come see an Atlanta Braves hat that's sitting over there on the corner. So Cody, this one's for you, all right? Spencer Strider, who pitches for the Braves is a strikeout king. I mean, six foot nothing, 195 pounds, 150 of those pounds are in his legs. You know, I mean, he's just blowing people away. He leads the entire major leagues with 86 strikeouts. The second place person is way down there behind him. He also, as you can imagine, leads the, leads the league with the number of strikeouts per nine innings, which for him is at 15. Actually, after this last outing, he dropped a little bit. But second place is still three strikeouts every nine innings shorter than that. Last year, Spencer Strider threw 300, I mean, threw 200 strikeouts last year, just over 200. This year, he's on pace to blow away 300. So, Nolan Ryan... Look out, right? I can't wait for them to trade him to the Reds. Anyway. (laughs) Now, he's embarrassing people. There's some sad strikeouts when you begin to watch some of those as as, uh, he makes batters sometimes look silly. But maybe the most famous of all sad strikeouts really didn't happen. It only lives in poetry. You would know this poem by its name. You may not know many of the stanzas that are in the poem, but I know for sure that you know the very last line of this poem. But there was no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey had struck out, right? It's not the saddest strikeout, though, of them all. The saddest strikeout is the one that you've turned to today in Luke chapter number 18. You're not going to find baseball in there necessarily. My dad said the Bible is a baseball book. It begins by saying, in the big inning. Anyway, now you know where I get my jokes from. Here we go, Luke chapter number 18. I want you to begin with me in verse number 18. The Bible says, now a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, let's stop there for just a moment. When you begin to read through each one of the Gospels, when you read Matthew's Gospel, you read Mark's Gospel, John really doesn't talk about this particular episode. So between these three, we discover three things about this man. He is rich, he is young, 
He is a ruler. He's rich. He's got lots of wealth and lots of stuff. And that obviously comes into play before we finish this episode here today. He's young, and Jesus is going to make mention of that even in our passage. To say that he is a ruler probably means that he is maybe a part of the Sanhedrin. Maybe he's simply a part of one of those rulers in the temple itself. But this is a man who should know. You know, he's going to come to Jesus and he's going to ask Jesus a specific question. He should already know the answer. If he has been around in church as long as it seems as if he has, even from his youth, he will say, he should know these things. That turns attention right back to us, doesn't it? There's some elementary principles that we should know. We should know some things about the Bible. We should know some things about God simply because of being around and being in this atmosphere for so long. The sad part is, is that even though what we talk about today may be summed up as a plan of salvation, we discover that there are Baptists, that there are church members, who could not explain the plan of salvation or how a person can be saved if they were trying to work their way out of a wet paper bag. They just simply don't know. Maybe they haven't given it enough thought. But my goodness, if the Spirit of God has come into your heart, He Himself has convicted you of your sins. He Himself has wooed you to Christ. Shouldn't you know? You're going to see in this passage that pitch number one, pitch number two, and pitch number three, this guy's going to whiff at every one of them. I hope you'd at least foul one of these off. You know, I really hope by the time we're through with this today, you hit a home run. You know what I mean? So let's look at them. Following along in your notes, this is how it goes. Strike one is coming up. Strike one is referred to as the wrong ask. It's the wrong ask. It's the wrong question. Let's pick it up where we left off. In verse number 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, Good teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Just like with Nicodemus, he should have already known the answer to this question, and he should have already known that this is not a good question. This is not the right question to ask. This is the wrong ask. This is the wrong question. At least in two specific areas, and Jesus picks on both of those things. Notice, if you will, what Jesus' response is, beginning in verse number 19. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. We would look at Jesus' life and we would say, Well, he's good. Jesus does good things. Jesus preaches good messages. Jesus performs good miracles. Jesus is a good man. If that's all that it is, if that's that's where you have to stop, 
to simply say that Jesus is a good man then is not a correct statement. Because if Jesus is not more than this, if Jesus is not God, if He is not 100% God and 100% man all at the same time, Jesus is not good at all. He's a fraud. He's a liar. He is confused, maybe. But He teaches them that He is God. He teaches them that He is the one who is going to be able to pay for their sins by His death on the cross. If he continues to tell people that, and it's not true, he's not a good man. And so he looks this rich young ruler in the face and says, why do you call me good? The only one who's good is God. What the rich young ruler should have said what, what, what you should say. Jesus, sorry I misspoke. You are God. He should say, just like Thomas in your Sunday school lesson today, my Lord and my God. He should yield to the truth of who Jesus is. He is not contemplating the very nature of Jesus. He is only looking and listening to the stories of Jesus. And so he makes up his mind that Jesus is good. Good teacher. Jesus is far more than that, isn't he? You better treat him as far more than that. Look at the meat of the question itself. See, not only is his address of Jesus incorrect. What he asks of Jesus is also incorrect. What must I, here's the key word, isn't it? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That word, that little word do, makes it the wrong question. Because is there anything that he can do? Is there anything possible that a rich man can do to enter the kingdom of God? Is there anything that a young man can do in order that he might reach the kingdom of God? Is there anything that a ruler can do to declare himself a part of the kingdom of God? The answer is no. No. Not at all. In fact, hold your place here in Luke chapter number 18... Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter number 2. I think that there are three verses in this passage that you need to see, you need to know, and you need to mark in your Bible in Galatians chapter 2. Here you turning. You there? All right. Galatians chapter number two. 
Why don't we start in... Um, Let's just, let's just go to the last one, verse number 21. Let's go there. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, if you can be saved because you have kept the law, Jesus didn't need to come and die. If any person can be saved by keeping the law, then if it's good enough for one person, then it's applicable to every person. If there is any person who is capable of earning eternal life by what they do by keeping the law, then Jesus was foolish for having come and died. Look in the next chapter. Look in chapter number 3. Look down the same verse, verse number 21. So we looked at 221, look at 321. Is the law then against the promises of God? That's a question that's based on what's already been said. That's not where we're headed. We're looking at the end, last of the verse, really. Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, Truly, righteousness would have been by the law. So there's some folks who will say, if God is God, and He created all of these laws, and He created how everything works, then why didn't He just create a law that says everybody's right with God? I mean, couldn't He do that? Could, couldn't, couldn't he just come up with a law that says, if you breathe through your nose, <laughs> or your mouth, <laughs> if you can breathe, then you can be right with God and all your sins can, go, can just simply go away. Some of you are thinking, if I were God, I'd do that. If you're God, we're all in trouble. God, God didn't do that at all because righteousness cannot come through declaration. It cannot come simply because God says, I'm going to overlook your sin. You don't have to pay for it. You can just go. Try it at Walmart. Go to Walmart and tell the cashier, have a coupon. I made it myself. Have a coupon that says, I don't have to pay for any of this stuff. See you later. Yeah, you're going to see them later in just a few minutes when they, when they come and they drag you back into the store. Right? You can't come up simply with a law that says, you're right. Jesus died for your sins because what the law says is that the wages of your sin, what you have earned because of your sin, is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Not even just spiritual death, but eternal death. Separation from God for forever. There's so many good things there in the book of Galatians, but I'm ready to get back. Let's go back to Luke. It's the wrong question. What should I do to inherit eternal life? 
So Jesus responds this way in verse number 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus simply goes back to the Ten Commandments and says, then why don't you do this stuff? (laughs) Say, Tim, you just spent all that time saying there ain't no law that can keep you. And Jesus says, hey, if you'll just keep the law. It's not what Jesus is saying. What is the law there for? It's not so that you can keep it and inherit eternal life. Even if it were possible for a person to keep the whole law, it's still not enough. You're born with a sin nature. And the truth of the matter is, is that you're going to act on that sin. The truth is, is that the Ten Commandments were never given to give you a way into heaven. I know that there's some folks that will say, well, in the Old Testament, people got saved because they kept the law. In the New Testament, people get saved because of Jesus. No. Any person who has ever been saved has been saved exactly the same way. Now, in the Old Testament, they may have had to look forward to the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And we get to look back on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. But that's the linchpin. That's the key. That's the one thing that gives a person eternal life. In the Old Testament, they had to repent of their sins and believe. In the New Testament... You have to repent of your sins and believe. So if Jesus is not saying commandment keeping is a means of eternal life, then why did He say what He said? He says what He says in verse number 20 for the very same reason that the law is given. The Bible says we should have kept our place in Galatians. The Bible says in the book of Galatians that the Ten Commandments are a tutor a teacher, one that is designed to show you that you need a Savior, that you need eternal life. Especially if you take those commandments the way that Jesus taught them. Remember, he's, he, he says here, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, you know what the commandment says, the commandment says don't commit adultery. I'm telling you, don't even lust after a woman in your heart. Do not murder, he says. The law says, do not murder. I'm telling you not to hate your brother. It's not just about whether you can check the box because outwardly you have committed the sin. We've committed them in our heart. And the law is designed to show you, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. You need someone to take those sins away. The right ask might have been, Jesus, I know that you're God. How how do I get rid of my sins? And Jesus could have just told him. Pastor Tim invites you to join us tomorrow for the conclusion of his message, The Saddest Strikeout, from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. 
Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.